Returning to John chapter 9, we are revisiting the blind man's story. This is our third week in chapter 9. I promise it will be our last week in chapter 9. But we have not finished the story. There is still, I think, at the heart of this story, the testimony of the blind man. At the center of this whole thing is, is the gift of spiritual sight, where God lays his hand upon a heart. And lets us see Jesus in all of his glory. And so let's return then to John chapter 9 and verses 24 to 41. Hear then the word of God. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind. And they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, and he says, I've told you already, you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him. You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses, We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered him and said, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, for if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him and they said, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, Jesus said to the man, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered and he said, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near to him heard these things, and they said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning to your word. We come to you. And we long, Father, to have you give us spiritual sight, eyes to see, ears to hear. Father, let us see Jesus in all of his glory and let that sight change everything. Change everything. And let us see Jesus. For we ask and we pray it in His name. Amen. You need to know that in the book of John, John walks through his testimony concerning Christ as he is giving us his gospel. That when he records miracles, Jesus did many, many miracles in his several years of ministry. We're told there are some nights where he went to a house and they lined up at the door and it says until the wee hours he he stayed and did ministry, ministry of healing. He healed many people everywhere he went. 
But when John picks out these miracles in his gospel and he places them in his testimony and stories, he's trying to present to the world who Jesus is. John's miracles, as he places them, are meant to do more than simply tantalize and, and amaze us at Jesus' power, that they're actually presented to us as signs, as metaphors, as pictures to convey deep spiritual truth to us. So in in the various places where he places these miracles, he places them usually alongside of teaching that that illustrates the teaching. I believe that this miracle in in verses 6 and 7, where Jesus makes spit mud that we talked about last week, he puts it on the man's eyes and he heals him, is actually an illustration of verses 3, 4, and 5. Right? As Jesus prelude to this miracle, the statements he made in those verses, he says a couple of things. He says that what he is doing is the works of God, and he is doing the works of God as the light of the world. And even as he says the words, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world, he works a miracle to open the eyes of a blind man who has lived in utter darkness and for the first time in his entire life. Sees. Jesus is the light of the world opens the man's physical eyes. But I believe in the same way, he opens the man's spiritual eyes. And it's two separate acts. It's two separate things. And it's the same for us. We may have been born and have physical sight, but spiritual sight is something else. To see the truth, to understand the truth, to see the reality of our sin, to see Jesus for who He is as King and Messiah, to be able to come to faith in Him is another work of God. And when we look at this story, we see the parallels of blindness and sight running throughout it. There's this story of a physical healing, but underwriting this whole story, and you have to see it, is spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. When you look at the Pharisees and the Jewish leadership side of this story, it's a picture of spiritual blindness that's almost comical. Their blindness parallels the physical blindness of the man, who is, turns out, they turn out to be more blind than the man Jesus heals. Right In verse 27, they're having this interview. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago where they called the man in a second. They'd interviewed him. They called him in a second time. And they grill him again and try to get at the bottom of the story. And the guy responds and says, I've already told you this story. Why do you want to hear this story again? You know, you didn't believe it the first time. Are you going to believe it the second time? Do you want to be his disciples? Is that why you want clarification? Do you want to follow Jesus too? Right? They showed so much interest in him. But they answer in verse 27 as he asks them this question. You want to hear it again so that you can become his disciples. In verse 28 it says they reviled him and they, they hated him. He said, we're disciples of Moses. We, we don't even know where this guy comes from. Right, that's their statement. That's there as they stand there in Jesus' presence and he does these things that he does. And their view of Jesus is this. We don't know about him. Moses, we know, we got the books, but Jesus and all that we've heard and all that he said and the things that he, you know, and even the story you tell, and even though your parents have come and testified to the fact that you've been blind since the day you were born, and in fact, this is the boy, and he is seeing, and they stand there and say, we don't really know about this guy. We don't know where he comes from. 
And the guy in verse 30 is amazed, right? You kind of like the man. He says, why, this is an amazing thing. He opened my eyes. You don't know where he came from? Like, you're the religious elite. You're the spiritual giants. You're the biblical scholars. You guys are the ones with all the power, all the knowledge, all the wisdom, all the money. You are the guys. You're in charge. This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from? He's walking around healing blind men? He opened my eyes. Right? Verse 30. He opened my eyes. Verse 31. And this is interesting. He says, he never saw one thing in his whole life. And he stands before these guys amazed that they don't know where Jesus come from. You can almost hear it in his voice, like, seriously? Let me, let me explain it to you. Right? Here the blind man is going to explain it to them. He uses simple logic. He just walks them through it. Right? Here's this guy who all he did all of his life is sit on the side of the road asking people to give him enough to live on. And these guys who do nothing all of their lives but study and teach the Bible. And the blind man says, let me, let me explain. Right? Let, me, let, me, let me lay it out for you. Verses 30 through 33. Right? 31, he comes out and he says, everybody knows God doesn't listen to sinners. Right? Everybody knows this. This is common knowledge. This is your own teaching, my friends. God doesn't listen to sinners. The Pharisees would be really big on that because they're the righteous ones. And God listens to us. So they should know this. And he says, okay, well, let me explain it to you. God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to his worshipers. He listens to his followers. He listens to people that know him and love him, right? He says, 31, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and it does his will, this is who God listens to, all right? So we've got this fact. Jesus opened the eyes of a man who was born blind from birth. This has never been heard of in the history of the world. It's never been done. It's not in the scriptures. This is an amazing thing. And we know that God doesn't hear sinners. God answers worshipers. God answers the doers of his will, the righteous. And then if so, in verse 33, his conclusion is, if this man was not from God, he couldn't do anything much less heal a blind man. The evidence, in other words, the evidence is before you, my friends. God doesn't listen to sinners. And Jesus couldn't do a thing. Couldn't do a thing if God were not listening to him. If he wasn't a worshiper and a doer of his will. There it is, my friends. And, and then how do the Pharisees respond? Okay, they lay, the guy walks them through it. It seems, seems obvious to me. He's a man of God. And their answer to him is typical. Often when people give criticism to each other or lay out things, the truth to people, when they can't handle the truth, right? when they can't deal with the truth, what they tend to do is come after you. right? We don't like what you said. So you say something to me, Robert. You know, Bible says you shouldn't be getting drunk all the time. It's pretty clear that drunkenness is a sin. And I say, oh, yeah? Well, you eat too much, right? Bible has something to say about that too, right? So what I do? I ignored your argument. I, don't, I avoided it. I don't even have to answer it. All I got to do is discredit you. All I got to do is come after you. All I got to do is make you look bad. Well, yeah, who are you to say this to me? 
which is their answer. It's a logical fallacy. When I was in college, I was a philosophy and religion major. The only thing I remember from my logic class, besides some of the syllogisms, is the fallacies, because they were the most fun. The red herring, the straw man. You know, you said, uh, and this one, the ad hominem. Ad hominem, against the man. It's a logical fallacy. I lay out a lot. He laid out a nice logical thing. You guys, God only, only hears right, righteous people. He healed a man born blind. If this man was not from God, he couldn't do anything. And instead of answering his argument, dealing with the plain data that's before them, they go after the man. Who are you to talk to us? You were born in sin, obviously, because you were blind, right? If you're blind, you must be a sinner. And they just reject the man's argument. By rejecting the man. They never deal with the argument. They never answer these things. These guys are theologians. They're given this cogent, strong, theological, biblical argument. And they ignore it. They're proud and indignant. They're angry. They attack the man. They throw him out. They avoid the truth. They never actually answer the argument. They divert attention back on the man. And this is blindness. They can't see it. Even when a blind man stands before them and lays it out for them, they can't see it. They don't want to see it. And they will throw it out of their presence. And they will come after it and eventually they will crucify it. They don't want to see the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They are blind, blind to the truth. They cannot see. Their hearts are hard, and they can't see what God is doing. They can't see what God is saying. They cannot see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Jim was talking about those glitches, trying to make it work. So we follow the blind man's story. That's the one side of it is God is John, I think, parallels blindness and sight. And he does it physically and he does it spiritually. And the man who was blind is given physical sight and begins to see. And the men who can see, who are the seeing men, are blind. Right? They can't see it. But when you follow the blind man's story, you can see this work of God in his life. It's not only a physical healing, is it? It's a spiritual healing. The man starts out and he's utterly blind physically, but he's also utterly blind spiritually. He doesn't know Jesus, but Jesus walks into his life. And the man has this rapidly growing awareness of who Jesus is. And so the blind man begins to see and become increasingly responsive to Jesus. It starts out, he's entirely passive. We noted last time how Jesus was passing by and took notice of the man. The man wasn't seeking it out. He wasn't crying out. He wasn't begging for it. He didn't ask for it. Jesus notices him. Jesus moves toward him. Jesus muds him up after saying some things and explaining things to his disciples. And Jesus heals him. When the man is asked what happened, back in verse 11, he simply responds by telling the story, well, there was this man named Jesus. And this is what happened. He healed me with some mud. 
In verse 17, interestingly, the Pharisees ask the man his opinion about who does he think Jesus is, what's going on here. And so the man gives a deeper level of answer from the man Jesus. And in verse 17, he says he's a prophet. What do we know about prophets? Prophets are men of God. Prophets are men who are sent by God. Right? Prophets are men who stand between God and man and deliver. <laughs> Jesus is a prophet. He's a man of God. He's a man sent from God to accomplish something. In verse 25, they tell him, give glory to God because we know that this man, Jesus, must be a sinner. And interestingly, he answers and he says, I don't know whether he's a sinner. I don't know him that well. I only saw him the one time. But this I do know. I was blind, and now I can see. Man, I can see. I see, I see a lot. I have experienced the power of God in my life in more ways than one. I have been touched. I have been touched not just in my face and in my body, but I have been touched in a way that I can't even begin to explain to you. And I I can't explain it to you. There's only one thing I know. I was blind. Now I see. Can you imagine having been born blind and not seeing anything? No light. No color. No faces. From the time you were born, you literally have no experience of it whatsoever. Helen Keller, who was a woman that was not born blind, but apparently at about 18 months of age as as an infant... Uh, had a disease that left her both blind and deaf. As you mostly know, that she learned to uh, communicate, and in her communication, despite her handicap, said, gradually I I got used to the silence and the darkness that surrounded me, and I forgot that it had ever been different. It was all she knew, until someone broke into her life and communicated with her. You know, and Jesus breaks into this man's life. And all he knows is that he knew darkness and now he sees light. All he knows is that Jesus is the man. He's the man. He knows he didn't do anything. He knows he didn't make it happen. He knows he didn't earn it. He knows it wasn't anything in him. He knows Jesus entered into his life. In one moment he couldn't see. And the next moment he could see everything. And this opening of his physical eyes, John wants us to see, points more to, than to just physical seeing that, that Jesus is doing a work in this man's life, starting with that touch. And you see this gradual, it was the man Jesus, and it's the prophet Jesus. And I know, one thing I know is he's a man of power and healing. And that if he were not from God, he could do nothing. And so he's beginning to really see who Jesus is. Jesus comes to the man. In verse 35, the Pharisees threw him out. They don't want to hear it. They don't believe it. They don't follow his arguments. They throw him out. And Jesus finds the man again. This is the second time Jesus seeks him out. Jesus comes to him and enters into his world. Right? Jesus finds him in 35 and hearing that they had thrown him out. And he asks the man about his faith. Jesus does this often. He stands at the graveside of Lazarus and asks Mary and Martha, do you believe this? When he tells him he's the resurrection and the life, and he finds this man, and he asks him about the state of his faith, the state of his belief about himself. 
He comes to the man and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Which is tantamount to asking him, do you believe in the Messiah? Son of Man is is an interesting phrase. It's Jesus' favorite title for himself. If you follow him through the Gospels, he calls himself this more than he calls himself anything else. Almost exclusively this. The Son of Man. This must happen as the Son of Man. And he speaks of himself in, in, in those terms. It occurs 81 times in the four Gospels. It's never used by anyone else. It's a biblical term. It's an Old Testament term. It's a messianic term. Right? I've given just one reference in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. If I can get it to show. Daniel 7, he says, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And there's this image, if you read the whole passage in Daniel, we see it elsewhere in Ezekiel and other Old Testament messianic passages, this image of the Son of Man, you know, coming on the clouds. And Jesus talks about that later on in his ministry. One day you'll see the Son of Man coming on the cloud, with the clouds of heaven. It's an Old Testament imagery of, of messianic hope and faith. And Jesus takes it to himself. The man is eager to know. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, who is he? Point me in the right direction that I might believe in him, that I might put my faith in him. And Jesus says, he's talking to you. Jesus says, it is I. I am the Son of Man. I am Messiah. And verse 38 then is the, the, the final and the full opening of the man's eyes spiritually and believingly as he comes in verse 39 for judgment or um, verse 38 he said Lord I do believe and he worships him right, he responds in faith and in worship I believe that you are who you say you are and on his knees he worships Christ Right, This is spiritual sight. This is what has been underwriting the picture of his physical healing through the whole thing. In fact, his physical healing is nothing but a metaphor to help us to see what needs to happen in the spiritual life in order for a man to come to faith in Christ and to see him for who he is, the Son of Man, to put their faith in him and to worship him. Every human being is, like this man, born blind. Spiritually speaking, every human being spiritually can't see the truth. And we don't start out with a knowledge of our sin and how we fall short. We don't start out with this being able to see God in is who He is in all of His glory and His holiness high and lifted up and reigning above the circle of the earth. We don't see the fullness of the truth. Which is why Jesus says in John 16, and we'll get there when we get to the... Uh, upper room and Jesus is teaching of his disciples as he gets ready to depart this earth and one of the things is he teaches them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit who will be poured out when he leaves is he says that the Spirit will come in John 16 when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment when Jesus opens your eyes to see the truth You know, this is the work of the Spirit, to show us our sin, to show us who God is in His righteousness, and the judgment that follows on that 
discrepancy. Who God is in His righteousness and who we are in our fallenness and the judgment that does and must follow upon that brokenness. This inner conviction that the Spirit, that is His ministry to bring, that I'm fallen and I'm broken, is meant to bring us to the place where we understand that we need a Savior. Tell me who the Son of Man is that I might believe in Him. This inner conviction, this work of the Spirit that brings us to the place of dissatisfaction, a sense of need, a sense of desire. Because those who know themselves to be sinners will repent. They will seek forgiveness. They will seek grace. They will embrace Jesus. They will want and desire. See, if the Pharisees could see their blindness, then Jesus would heal them give them sight. All right, this, I think, is the meaning of the puzzling statement that closes out this section in 39 to 41 where Jesus talks about for judgment coming into the world. He comes in the world that those who do not see might see. Those who understand that they are blind could come to, to see their need and embrace Christ. And he says, but those who see, who think they see, who don't see their need, The Pharisees who can't see him will become blind, right? At the end, the Pharisees ask him, are we the blind ones? Are we the ones? In verse 41, Jesus says, if you were blind, if you knew that you were blind, you would have no guilt. You would would seek the grace that is in me. But because you say that you see and reject me, your guilt remains. Right? The Pharisees think they can see. They think they're the ones. We're, we're the disciples of Moses. We don't even know where this man comes from. You, you were born in sin. Get out of here. They think they can see and they got it all figured out. They reject the man. They reject his, his logic and his theology. They reject this vision of Jesus as the Messiah. And they reject Jesus himself. And they think they can see. But they're blind. In Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and verse 32, Jesus says, those who are well, that is those who think they can see, have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, those who know they need a doctor, right? I have not come to call righteous, but the sinners to repentance, Right, this is clearly illustrated in that little parable that Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the publican who both come to church to pray. And the Pharisee comes and he stands before God and he says, Thank you, God, that I'm not like other men who do this, that, and the other thing. He thinks he's righteous. And then the publican, the sinner, comes and he says, God, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. He sees his blindness. He sees his brokenness. He sees his sickness. And he craves a physician. He craves a healer. He craves a savior. But not the other man. Right? It is the sick who crave healing. It's the desperate who come for a physician and for a savior. And Jesus tells us, and in that parable, the one who prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, went away unjustified and lost. But the man who came recognizing his illness and crying out to God to have mercy on him was a man who could see and found healing. Right? This is played out in this. This is the Pharisees and the publican. 
the blind man. Right? And the one group stands self-righteous. And the man, tell me who he is. Tell me who he is so I can believe in him. G.T. Shedd, a theologian, a writer, a pastor, says this. The instant that any human soul becomes emptied of its conceit of holiness and of its self-righteousness, the instant it becomes an aching void and reaches out after something pure and better, it is then at that moment filled with what it wants. The instant the human soul becomes emptied of its self-conceit and cries out and reaches out and craves something purer and something better. This is what Jesus is saying when he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst because they know their need. You know, for most of us, this man's testimony rings true and familiar. This is a testimony that most of us understand and resonate with when he speaks about his experience with Jesus. He says, I know I may not know a lot of things, and a lot of folks who first meet Jesus, a lot of times their testimony is simply, there's not a lot that I know that I can tell you about it. I may not have a lot of biblical knowledge, but there's one thing I know. I was blind, and now I see. One thing I know is that Jesus is God's man. One thing I know is that Jesus touched me in a way that changed everything. One thing I know, I did not see who Jesus was. I did not understand anything about him. And then at this moment, I see him for who he is. It is self-evident to me. You don't have to prove it to me. I see him for who he is. I believe and I worship. We see it all. There's a moment when you can't see and there's a moment when it all comes clear. And it's this this work that God does in the life of his people. We become to see the truth of the Bible. We come to see the truth of, of his kingdom and what God is doing. We come to see the truth of who Jesus is and the glory of his person. We come to see the truth of what he was doing, why he lived and why he died, and that it was for me. We come to see the truth of the power of what it means that Jesus is the Savior, a man sent by God. It's it's self-evident to me. All I know is that I was blind and I didn't understand these things, and now I can see that it's true, that it's true, that it's true. Because it has touched my life in a way that is irrefutable. It is untouchable. You know, this was the experience of Peter when he makes his confession. Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? After asking them what everybody else thinks, who, what do you think? And I said, Jesus, a question Jesus would ask every one of us. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers this question. Right? And he says, thou art the Christ. Thou art the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right. Bingo. Right? Bingo. And he says, how do you know this? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This is not your education speaking. Right? This isn't your intuition speaking. 
This isn't your logic speaking. But my Father who is in heaven, who has revealed it to you. He says, God himself opened Peter's eyes to see the truth. No amount of education can give it to you. The sight of the glory of God in the face of Christ is the work of God in his spirit. Spiritual sight. In the Bible, we call it regeneration. We call it new birth. You know, where there's new life and new spiritual life, there's new eyes to see, new ears to hear. They come with the new life that Jesus brings. Right? Which is why Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, unless, unless God has revealed this to him and done this work to open his eyes and unstop his ears, just like Jesus touched this man's eyes and he went from darkness to light, he says, unless a man is born of God, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. But when he's born again and he's touched by the hand of God, he can see the kingdom. He can see Jesus for who he is. He receives sight to see the truth, to believe the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Jonathan Edwards says this, God does not merely come into our lives and bring us to a place of rationally believing that He is glorious. But he gives us a sense of the gloriousness of God in our heart. In other words, I don't just see physically or, or mentally, but I know and experience God in the deep places. He does not merely rationally believe that God is glorious. He has a sense of the gloriousness of God in his heart. There's not only a rational belief that God is holy and that holiness is a good thing, but there is a sense of the loveliness of God's holiness that it is right and good and pure and true. There's not only a speculative judging that God is gracious, but there's a sense of how beautiful and amiable God is on account of His graciousness. One thing I know, I was blind, and now I see. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, in the face of Christ. And the least glimpse of this glory in the face of Christ does more to exalt and ennoble the soul than all the knowledge of those that have the greatest speculative, learned book understanding of divinity without grace. One glimpse of Jesus, one true glimpse of Jesus does more to change and radically transform a life and all the book learning you can do in a lifetime. To see the glory of God in the face of Christ is the beginning of worship. It's the beginning of passion. It's the beginning of obedience. It's the beginning of a life of sacrifice. It is only this vision of Christ that ennobles and exalts the soul and brings us to a passionate pursuit of Him. Jesus wants to know, as he asked this man, do you believe in the Son of Man? Can you see Jesus for who he is? Do you crave what Jesus offers? Are you on your knees admitting your need? Falling on your knees and putting your faith in Christ and worshiping. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess that apart from you, we can do nothing.
that apart from your touch, we can see nothing. Apart from the work of your spirit, we can be nothing. Father, like this blind man who sees brighter and brighter with the growing day to a full understanding of the glory of God, your glory in the face of Christ. Father, may we come to that place. Give us such a glimpse of this glory. Give us such a sense of who Jesus is that it saves us. Saves us from ourselves. Saves us from the American dream. Saves us from the idols and the things that we serve and love in our lives that we might know and love and serve and worship you and you alone. That we might be your people and you might be our God. Father, would you open our eyes and let us see. For we ask it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.